Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome to you. If you're joining us live on YouTube as we do this, or if you're listening to the usual audio podcast version, you are extremely welcome. You could not be more welcome, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Welcome to Cop On Podcast. This is extremely Wonderful that you're with us. And with me right now, I've got um, three Reds from around the world. We've got Alan, we've got Abdul, we've got Liam. And also joining us from Germany is Lucy, who is a Crystal Palace fan. And Lucy, um, there's a lot of yin-yang in this match. I mean, there was yin-yang, there was, there was the great stuff, the bad stuff from both teams. But I imagine that as delighted as us Liverpool fans are that we've got away from that match with three whole points, you must be sort of the flip side of that in terms of your disappointment, are you? Yeah, I mean, it's deja vu to September, no? I feel like the last time we had this conversation, it was very, very similar. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's gutting not to get a point. Clearly, we didn't deserve to win. But um, I mean, talk about game of two halves, right? In the in the first half, I could see it going, yeah, horribly for us. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you you'd be really really mean to say that we didn't deserve a point out of the performance in the second half, and obviously. The penalty, I think, changed. You know, who knows if we would have managed to nick one right at the end or not. Um, but yeah, really disappointed after such a strong second half performance to come away with nothing at all. Yeah, it, I mean, I'm so sorry about the penalty. It feels it's such a weird feeling because normally, and it sounds like you know, I, I believe the a scouse term for this would be cryassing. It sounds a bit like cryassing, but I honestly think that it's the first time in ages when we've really had the rub of the green from the referees. Because in general, my opinion has not changed. They're just not fit uh, for the for, for purpose. I mean, are they? I mean, that was never a penalty in a million years, Lucy, was it? No, definitely not. I mean, I think, I mean, I guess what's what's galling is that the like the referee had it right first time, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's it's somehow the the I don't know the pressure or the anticipation of when you know when it goes to VAR and when they go to the screen that they don't feel somehow like they can stick to their guns and say no I made the right decision I'm not changing this um but yeah I mean you saw how long it took I mean how many times they had to rewatch it but I have no idea how you can give a penalty having seen that it's just I mean it's ridiculous like he'd already lost control of the ball like it was you know it was no kind of deliberate com contact in a uh, preventing any goal from happening like it was just yeah, ridiculous decision, very frustrating because all of the momentum was on our side up until that moment. And it really, you know, it was one of those really exciting last five minutes. Like it was, you know, for us going for it, seeing if we were going to get the point or not, um, you know, but it was, yeah, everything was kind of gearing up to a really exciting ending, I think, on our side. And that obviously totally took the wind out of our sails. And yeah, I mean, then it was then it was game over for us. But yeah, dreadful decision. No idea how you can come to that conclusion. It's crazy, isn't it? Um, I mean, if, if it, does anyone else want to want to want to jump in at this stage? Does anyone disagree? Does anyone think it was a penalty? You know, is there any going up? I don't. I don't think it. I mean, it was a harsh penalty to give. I will say that um, there's one angle where you're looking at it from behind. Jota like puts his foot down to obviously spring off that and carry on chasing the ball, and that was the same moment where I think Guaita touched him. So. 
I I think if Guaita wasn't there, Jota would have probably got to the ball if it was just a normal ball rolling through and he wasn't trying to get around the keeper. So I think that is possibly why they gave it. But um, I understand that it's a harsh penalty to give. And definitely in the moment, I think that the referee's decision, if he stuck with his decision, I would have completely understood it. But, but, and this is the one big but, I think um, I saw something from the Tomkin Times, uh, which was basically, this is the second penalty Liverpool have been awarded after VAR reviewed. So, I mean, if it's one of the football gods giving us, you know, our just desserts after a long time of not having that, I'm definitely not going to complain. Yeah, I mean, as I say, it feels weird to be on the on the uh, sort of, you know, the beneficial end of a dodgy call. Because, uh, yeah, that's a really good stat, Abdul. But I, I think that, yeah, I mean, if, if you need to look at just one particular angle and then it's only maybe a penalty, then it does tell you a lot about... Uh, about what was going on, but I tell you what, I feel relieved, Alan. I feel relieved. I looked it up. Um, the world record for the longest pee or urination or micturation, if you prefer, is 508 seconds, uh, which is 8.5 minutes of peeing. And I don't reckon whoever that was, this is according to Good Housekeeping websites. Uh, good, good housekeeping's website, by the way. So you can look it up on there. And if you don't believe them, who do you believe? I don't get. I don't get who you are, where you're coming from. But good housekeeping said that the longest pee ever was 508 seconds. And I think my sense of relief is bigger than that person's sense of relief, Alan. I thought this was a huge result. Huge. Yeah, I agree with you. It was, um, especially um, after City drawn yesterday, um, it was a fantastic result, and it was needed. Um, I, t- I think relief was the thing in the second half. In the first half, I, I wrote a note down here at 23 minutes, just saying we're in control without being frantic and attacking. Like, or I don't know what happened 10 minutes later, but 10 minutes later, I was in panic stations. Um, but um, one thing I would like to add, just uh, especially with Lucy there and as well, I'd like to give credit to the Crystal Palace fans. I think it's the first time we've been in at any London club where the fans sing for their own players and not singing abuse and crap. So I think the Palace fans deserve huge credit for that. From minute one to the last minute, they were singing for their own players. Um, just thought I'd like to put that across there. Yeah, great point. Absolutely. Yeah, the Palace fans are a credit to themselves, singing about their own team, not singing stupid songs about uh, about people dying like other people, other fans have done there from other clubs this season. But no, Crystal Palace fans, always brilliant, Lucy. You're always great. Um, but um, before I bring you in, Liam, I'm just going to ask more questions. Uh, just one more, because Lucy's got to, got to head off fairly soon, so we're going to try and make the most of her while she's here. So, Lucy, I mean, you know, it's it's easy to forget, given the second half performance, how brilliant Palace were, that the first half, as Alan said, I mean, I, he's got his on his notes, it's around about the 35th minute, I've got about the 40th minute, that Liverpool just started, uh, you know, just being rubbish after, you know, what was actually a superb start to the match. Um, and at that stage, when it was 2-0, and, and when we were sort of, you know, running riot a little bit. We had 10 attempts to your zero in the first 30 minutes. Um, Were you thinking like, you know, is there, you know, how are we possibly going to get back in there? I mean, did you notice any kind of tactical change from Patrick Vieira? I mean, how can you sort of, you know, how can you, what what was the big difference between that opening 30 minutes or so and and the rest of it? (laughs) 
don't know great question um but i think yeah the first the first half hour was horrible for us i mean i yeah like i was watching with friends and i said it's men against boys like it you know it just looked like a different league didn't it i mean the golfing quality was enormous um and then i mean i don't know what happened then the last i guess there was a bit of a a sense of time pressure and in terms of if you know if we nick one back before half time then all of a sudden it's not going to look like such a mountain to climb so I thought yeah I thought it was a bit later but the last kind of yeah eight minutes I guess before half time I really felt like there was kind of a, a sense of urgency if we need to get one back before the break um, and then obviously after half time with the change of going to to kind of two up front to do in the 4-4-2 I thought was yeah obviously worked brilliantly um but also I mean you have to wonder in those situations you know what what Vieira said at half time because you would have thought that there would have definitely been a uh, a potential for them to go in feeling pretty gloomy and you know feeling like it was going to be our own you know particularly thinking about kind of the the recent history with Liverpool and how badly we know it can go um so I thought it was really impressive the way they came out after half time whatever was yeah whatever kind of Vieira did in the dressing room obviously worked wonders because they came out with such energy and I thought belief um you, because like 15 minutes in we had just 10 men behind you know behind the goal and you just thought okay like we can't play like this for 90 minutes this is absolutely ridiculous you know this is um this is a recipe for disaster and you thought they're not gonna you know without even having attempted really to go forward we're already too behind um but yeah I mean clearly they you know they had that sense of belief then for the second half and I do think the yeah the change in formation really helped um but they yeah I mean Vieira's just given them such a such a boost in believing that they can play against good teams and that they can play decent football um but yeah it was a definitely a game of two halves yeah great answer excellent stuff yeah it was very interesting that tactical switch really worked a treat and Liam it was one of those rare times where Liverpool go into a break and then they're visibly markedly worse in the second half are you going to take anything from that you know that lull in the second half or was it just just one of those one of those halves of football that we can just forget about and you know be be very relieved that we can uh you know is it that we have escaped with three points because uh, there's there's just one thing like the ease at which palace were just looking to you know lump balls up to their to their front players because they 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 were the Palace defenders in possession weren't under much pressure in, in that second half and they were able to time and time again just cause loads of problems just with a simple ball. Is there something to worry about there, Liam, or is it just, uh, you know, don't worry about it, we'll just we'll just move on? I think it's something we see a lot with the way we play. I think it's something we're happy to, I guess, risk with the quality we've got back there. In particular, you saw Allison in his Man of the Match performance today, the amount of times he bailed us out with those long balls. But I think you put it well yourself. I thought rather than the high line itself being a particular problem, I mean, we've been playing with that for what, nearly three and a half years now. And OK, it's been caused out a few times, but look at the success we've had with it. So I wouldn't say I'm particularly worried with it, but I think, the fact, you know, this week's been quite a big week. The first probably against Brentford, we were a bit gritty in terms of the performance. It wasn't fully up to scratch, but we managed to win resoundingly. And then obviously a cup, a cup semi-final midweek away in London, Jota bailing us out again. The performance was much better. And then I think this week, because we've had such a, 
I guess three important games without the players at AFCOM. Again, the fact we've got into a cup final and again, Palace, as we've seen, can cause many teams, big teams, problems. It kind of had a causal effect in the end and I think we discussed... I guess tiredness would probably be the thing I put it down to more than anything. So I think this break will give us, um, was come at the right time for us really. And I think going forwards, the, the high line wouldn't be something I'm too worried about, especially when we've got Allison back where I think Matip looked a little, um, a little jaded Van Dyke maybe at times as well. And I think this week, which has been a big week, a very good week for us has probably um, taken its toll towards the end of the half, but there was a bit of complacency in there and, I think that's something we can improve on, but you can't play well for 90 minutes all the time. Very interesting stuff. Um, Abdul, uh, Liam mentioned Alison Becker there. Uh, he's man of the match, never a, never a more obvious man of the match. Um, you know, as, as I like to remind everybody, his middle name is Ramesses, and there is something about that that is um very epic and i was trying to think of you know different different names for him it was actually um stephanie my 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 good lady uh came up with becca the wrecker and abdul he i don't know what you how lucky you feel having such a great goalkeeper between the sticks for us because he's he he wrecks loads of things he wrecked Unfortunately, poor Lucy's uh, feelings today and lots of Palace fans. But he wrecks all the stats, you know, all the XG stuff because Palace end up with 1.69 XG to Liverpool's 1.27. So Palace could have easily won that match had it been any lesser man than Alison Ramesses Becker. What did you make of him, Abdul? Yeah, once again, I mean, it's just so nice to be able to just have such reliability in between the sticks for Liverpool. I always say this to people, but the day that we signed him was the day that I knew that Liverpool could win titles and could win trophies. I mean, even though we already had Virgil, we had Salah scoring loads, I think it wasn't until we signed Alisson that I felt like we were really a big boy club, finally, because there was a lot of talk about carriers keeping him on and we trusted him, all that kind of stuff. And then out of nowhere, we just slapped 69 or whatever million on the table to Roma and we had him over the line. And I remember hugging the person who was next to me that day, the moment we did it, the moment I learned, I was like, yeah, like we're finally here. But yeah, he's just a phenomenal goalkeeper. Um, like, sorry, sorry. when you say you hugged the person next to you, was that just a random stranger? Uh, no, well, <laughs> it was my housemate at the time. So, yeah, it oh, wasn't, okay, right. it wasn't quite so okay. spontaneous. But uh, <laughs> I feel like I probably would have, even if I was out in public, I would have probably given it the knee slide. But um, yeah, just an incredible goalkeeper. He does have his mistakes in him from time to time, does have a little brain fart, but you can definitely just gloss over that because... He is just an absolutely phenomenal goalkeeper. And like Klopp says, I think the number one goalkeeper on the planet right now, um, even though Edison is obviously really, really good with his feet in a way that Alisson definitely isn't. Uh, I think just the shot stopping and the reliability and making just every save seem simple. Um, it's just, you can't put money on that. So um, yeah, just love the fact that we have him and hopefully he's like Thiago Silva and he can play until he's like 39 or whatever. At least... Absolutely. Brilliant answer. Brilliant answer. Um, playing in front of him is is Virgil van Dijk and Virgil got the got the first goal today, Alan. Um, it was a bullet header uh, after, unfortunately, two, two Palace players collided in the box. They ran into each other 
uh, Schlup and um, Anderson. And uh, it allowed Virgil, you know, a, a sniff of goal, but he, he, he absolutely snorted it, didn't he, into, into the top corner. Um, Virgil's looking really, really good. I thought he was great uh, against Arsenal the other day as well. Um, he's top of our charts in turn on a number of metrics, including the most amount of successful passes and the most amount of blocks, etc., etc. There are about six or seven of them that he's top at. And it was another brilliant performance, Alan, that was you know possibly easy to overlook because he does everything with such languid grace. But what do you make of Virgil? Oh yeah, he had a great game again and it's so good to see him getting that um, bullet of a header that you'd expect from him. Um, I think he is back to his best at, at the moment. Um, the last few games, you can see he's getting more more involved going forward, more confident looking. Um, although, to be fair, the Palace did catch him out today uh, twice with the offside, and one for the goal as well. He was probably caught a bit there. But um, like you say, 90 minutes play, every player has a mistake or two. But um, it's, like, it's like Abdul said there as well, when you, when you have Virgil and Ali, two of them linked together so well, two of them have confidence in each other. And I think any team in the Premiership or the world would like um, Virgil and Ali in their team. I think the other good thing as well about um, Alisson is, I think that's the first time I've ever given a goalkeeper 10 out of 10 in a match. Um, he did to Crystal Palace today what so many goalkeepers do to us and has had the game of their life. And uh, it's just amazing to have him and Virgil and Matip. I think uh, some people were picking on Matip a little bit today, saying he made a few mistakes, which he did. He had a bad pass or two. I think we're very lucky to have both of them and the link so well together. Um, it's just amazing, amazing to have them, and we're long may we have them all. Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, Joel Matic's pass completion. I'll get it up for the for the whole match and on my on my screen here. Hang on, but uh, yeah, I remember at half time it was only eighty eight percent, and he he was one of the people who who played a horrible pass uh, to allow Palace their first chance that was saved by Becker. But that first chance fell to Elise Lucy. And he was one of the great, um, he was one of the great, you know, hopes, the real positives from today, from a Palace point of view. There were, there were several. I mean, of course, Conor Gallagher, I mean, he's, his industry is, is, is exceptional. I thought Jeffrey Schlipp played well, but Elise especially, and, uh, Matita, is that his name up front? Um, there, there were lots of positives. What, what were the positives for you? Yeah, I think Elise is brilliant. Um, it'll be really key for us to to try to hold on to him. I thought Gallagher was actually a bit quiet today by his standards. I mean, he's still obviously always, you know, one of our best players on the pitch. But um, yeah, I think he's, I mean, he's yeah still kind of getting back to match fitness. I mean, he was out for a little while with his, I don't know if it was COVID or another illness, I can't remember. Um, but no, I thought, I mean, I think also the, just to actually reassure ourselves that we do have some options, you know, like it's always actually quite positive to have a game where Wilf isn't there but we're still creating chances and we're still looking threatening. Um, I think bringing on Eze was brilliant. I did think Marteta was great. Um, I mean, you know, there were, we actually had a lot of chances, I think, from kind of Liverpool errors in the first half. And if we'd have taken those chances, and I think it's exactly what I said last time when we had the, um, for us, the away game back in September. But if we'd have, you know, it, it, it's what really makes the difference, right? I mean, 
Liverpool took the chances that they had and and we didn't. I mean, there was, I think, you know, there was a moment where we could have been 3-2 up. Um, I'm not saying that would have, you know, reflected fairly the quality or what have you of the the play, but there were a lot of chances that we missed. I mean, Gallagher missed one. Elise, obviously, that would have been a great goal if it had gone in. Um, Edward with the back heel. I mean, there were, you know, we had plenty of opportunities to score. So in a way, I think that is very encouraging. Um, and yeah, just, just nice to see that we have good attacking options that aren't so hard because for the last couple of seasons, like it's not been so obvious where goals would come from if they weren't going to come from him. Um, but I think, you know, more generally the style of play that Vieira has brought in, it's obviously just much more pleasant to enjoy. You know, it's, it's more pleasant to watch Palace now. There are still a lot of hairy moments. And I think I still have a bit of a concern that Vieira's style of play is for very high quality players. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, particularly when you see, you know, they're clearly they've been given such a strong message about not lumping the long balls and having to play it out from the back. And, you know, and sometimes that gets very hairy for us. And, you know, then you get horrible mistakes like we had on, on New Year's Day against West Ham and conceding terrible goals when the keeper's not willing to just clear it, basically. Um, but in general, I think, you know, the, the the new attacking style and prettier football is, you know, it's definitely nothing you can complain about. And if they keep on playing at that higher quality, we will start to win more games. I mean, at the moment, we're just, we're drawing everything and we're not, yeah, not taking the the chances we need to but it's certainly moving in the right direction for us so I thought there were tons of positives really yeah great answer in terms of your creativity um the amount of shots you had I mean going through the team from the back to the front Joachim Anderson managed one shot your central defender Jeffrey Schlupp managed one uh Connor Gallagher managed one that was the header that was uh, unfortunately wide unfortunately from a palace point of view um Elise managed two Mateta managed one Edouard managed two, of which he scored one, of course, that tap-in um, after very good play, very clinical play. And so, yeah, chances from all over the pitch. So, yeah, you're right. There were, there were tons of positives from Palace's point of view. In terms of the positives for Liverpool, um, Liam, I thought with Vieira's tactics, it did give Andy Robertson and Trent... Um, quite a lot of opportunity to have to have the ball. I mean, Robertson ended up with two assists, of course. Um, he was really good. Uh, Virgil, I mentioned, was very good. Alisson was superb. Um, well, when I say very good, it, at times. Everyone was poor at times as well, which is kind, kind of funny. But before the match, I was, I don't know, um, I was thinking about Curtis Jones versus Gallagher. I thought Curtis was really good. I can, I can go through all the team. Uh, but who do you think was good, Liam? Um, I think we've touched on Allison, so I won't go on him again. I think, in particular, Jota probably didn't have the game, particularly after his game at Arsenal, but we know he can he can have. But I think in terms of working hard, the front three were all very, I guess, proactive in the press, particularly the first 35 minutes before things started to slow down and the press basically capitulated. But I think that's when things started to kick in a little bit and we have to, I guess, retreat in terms of what sort of energy we're putting in. But I think in particular, I know the penalty is probably a bit sceptical, but again, winning the penalty, it just seems to influence the game in, in a way that we've not had, obviously, Salah and Mane are excellent goal scorers, dribbling and things. But when we've not got those two on the pitch, to have someone like Jota who can still influence things without scoring, particular i mean he's not known for his passing but i think in transition and 
I guess you said the space from the era style of play. I think he had lots of space to run in at Ward in particular at times as well. So I'd say Jota was really good. Uh, Jones in particular as well. I think since Thiago hasn't been in that left side of midfield, he's kind of made that position his own and almost made himself undroppable. I think particular in pressing as well and moving out of tight spaces with nice turns and I guess close control generally. He's he's good at that in a way. Why Naldon was sort of as well that the fact he could get himself out of whether it be two men or three men pressing him, he can move around and start a counter-attack or drive play forwards, and he's very good at driving into space as well. So I think in general, as you mentioned, performances were ebbed and flowed throughout the 90 minutes. Palace will probably feel they were a bit a bit hard done by throughout the game, and I said a, a point would have replicated considering how poor we were for probably 60 minutes, maybe not 60 minutes, 55 minutes of the match. But I think, as Lucy said, when quality comes down to it and taking chances, we probably came out on that front. And I think the fact that even our goal scorers weren't the ones scoring the goals today shows the quality we've got throughout the team. And we need wins like this if we're going to challenge City for the title. It was probably a lucky win today, but an ugly one, another gritty one. But we'll take it, come off the break and go again in the FA Cup. It's going to be interesting after the break, Abdul, with, uh, when we get all these players back, um... We're going to have uh, probably Thiago, um, Harvey Elliott back in midfield. So we're going to have pretty much, a f- uh, of course, Naby Keita. The, the final of the AFCON, by the way, I looked it up before, is on February the 6th, which is the same day as our match against Cardiff. So our next league match is against Leicester after that. So for the next league match, just focusing on the Premier League, we, we could have a pretty much full squad. I think Divock is back. So if we have a full squad... What would you do with the midfield? Today, Curtis Jones, he had 90% passing accuracy, which is crazy, including two key passes. He didn't manage a shot. Um, and Jordan Henderson managed four shots, but his passing accuracy was 10% less than Curtis Jones on 80%. Um, with all these midfielders coming back, would you? who would you play in midfield from if we were all fully fit, Abdul? So, yeah. This is this is it. This is what we've been building up all of the season too. And firstly, I must stress, um, I know there's been a lot of negativity about Liverpool's chances in the title and as a result, a lot of negativity about our season so far. But first things first, I have to say, I think Liverpool are having an incredible season by just all, all kind of um, metrics. I mean, yeah, we've dropped points in some matches, which has been frustrating and that's completely understandable. But we have won six out of six matches in the Champions League. We're in the final of a Carabao Cup. We're in the next stage of the FA Cup. And we are theoretically within six points of, you know, winning the title. Um, six points off going first anyways uh, from City if we win our match against Leeds. And we also, crucially, do not have any long-term injuries at the moment. So once Harvey Elliott's back, we should be fine. I mean, Divock Origi, nobody knows what's wrong with him. But basically, once we come back, on the 6th of February, from this two-week break, which we've needed, because I think, like Alan said, or, or Liam, you know, we've had a lot of games in the last few weeks, and we definitely need a rest right now. But once we come back from that, we have a fully fit squad, and we're going to need it, because I think we have a match every three days. We have, like, five matches in 15 days once we come back. So we're going to need the entire squad, and I'm actually very unsure what our main team is actually going to be. I think we're going to see our strongest possible lineup against Inter Milan on the 16th of February. 
And then again, we're going to see our strongest possible team on the final, apart from Kelleher in goal for Allison, uh, against Chelsea on the 27th. But in between that, I really could not tell you which, which kind of variation of midfield we're going to go for. I think in the FA Cup match, there's every chance that Klopp could go with a really strong team because we'd, we will have had two weeks of rest at that point. But you'd also like to see him give Harvey Elliott his first game back. You'd like to see him give Thiago a game back so that he starts getting some rhythm. Um, the AFCON boys are back as well. Naby Keita's been in great form. Um, you know, Curtis Jones in great form right now. Oxley Chamberlain is scoring goals. He's in great form right now. I mean, it really is for the first time in Klopp's possibly the first four years, five years that he's been here. He actually really has decisions to make and the team doesn't pick itself at all. So I'm really excited to just see what we actually do. Um, and yeah, best of luck to Klopp because it's a very hard decision. <laughs> he's going to have to work it out. Excellent. Uh, Lucy, before you chip off, because I know you've got people coming over for dinner. So bon appetit with all that. Um, just one final question for you. Um, uh, and it's about the title race because we uh, on Cop on Podcast, no one's given up. Well, maybe some people are given up, but uh, no one, not many people are giving up on the title race. We're, we're, we're only 22 games into a 38 game season. We're, we're, as it stands, nine points behind City, but we have a game in hand. So it could be six points. And then if we beat them, just um, three points. God, good Lord. Um, are we deluding ourselves, Lucy? Because you know Pep and his oil slickers. You know they're they're, they're you know they've got strength in depth that you wouldn't believe. He spent five hundred million net spend in the last five years. Did Liverpool have a have a hope in hell from the outside? What do you think, Lucy? I wouldn't put money on you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, it's fair enough. It's fair enough. So you you would think it's a sort of a, a one percent chance for Liverpool or a ten percent chance? Or... I mean, it's interesting when you say okay with the game in hand and and what is it you said it's it's Leeds coming up. Um, yeah. Obviously, you know if if you then like it can go it can go then quite quickly and I guess it can get quite exciting. But I also yeah I think City then would somehow have the oil in the tank to be able to kind of accelerate again and to and to move forwards. I mean I don't I don't know honestly what your your run up of games looks like and theirs and particularly how the last few games of the season look for you both. But um I just think, you know, the way things have been this season you wouldn't bet against Man City. I mean it's yeah, I think it's um it will take Liverpool's obviously, yeah, I also agree with Abdul. I mean, you're having a, a great season, but it would take an exceptional team at the moment, I think, to bring to to beat City this season. I hope you do it. I prefer Liverpool. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you. That's very kind of you. So, I mean, but you're th you're thinking you're thinking sort of very low percent, sort of five percent chance. Then is that? Or even yeah, less. there's there's always a chance. Not more than ten percent for sure. I would I would be okay. really yeah I would be really confident. I think that City are gonna are gonna take it. But yeah, I mean, like you say, it's still it's early days. It's a yeah, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? We're not there yet. Well, okay. I mean, I'm tempted to stay in that case. I hope you burnt your bratwurst or whatever you're having for dinner. But uh, no, it's a, no, it's been an absolute pleasure that you joined us. Thank you so much, Lucy. Um, Thanks all the best. for having me on. All right. Uh, Speak Bye, to you soon. Bye 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 bye. Okay, and uh, so listeners, stay stay with us. We're left with the the Liverpool lads. Um, you heard it from Lucy. She's not from the outside, the objective point of view, Alan. That um, you know the chances are very slim for Liverpool taking this Premier League. But I don't know, Alan. It's um, it's looking to me like City 
because their lead was so huge, they might bottle it, or at least the chances of them bottling it are higher because psychologically to be 13 points ahead and then maybe in a few weeks they could be just six or you know even less points ahead, then they might start to really panic. I don't know. Am I just talking myself into it, Alan? Uh, no, I don't think you are on. Um, I think, well, fair play to Lucy. She's unbiased like we are, and she she, she said it very well there. But I think two, three podcasts back, I thought we were, we were, we were out of it and you, you were putting me straight. And it, I can see, see you're right. We're still in it. There's always a chance. I thought at the beginning of the season, uh, City would have a slow start like they normally did. And I thought we'd get a few points ahead of them and, and stay ahead of them. But yeah, now just seeing them yesterday and just put new hope in me actually uh, uh, like Lucy said this, this, they're well aisled they're, they're, they're going to be hard to beat um, we've given them a bit of a head start but you know, we're still in it and positive especially over this period like when we haven't had the three guys like Naby and Mo and Sadia that we've we've come through it like the game today we didn't play we played great for 30 minutes held on got a good win they are the games that win you titles or, or get you challenging for titles so so I'm quite positive now and I'm quite positive with the lads coming back that we're going to get a fresh impetus and, and go again and just try and win every game. Because um, our midfield in particular are, are very tired. You know, I think when the lads said it there earlier on, I think it was Liam that we looked tired today and we did. But like we haven't had, I don't know, we haven't had Thiago or Naby or even Harvey to, to come in and give lads a rest. So so I think going forward now we're positive. We just keep keep fighting, fight for every point and hang in there and City could, could lose a few games and Maybe if the further they go in in the Champions League, the the less interest they seem to have in the Premiership sometimes as well. So yeah, you have me back on track, Owen. I'm back. <laughs> nice to have you with us. Very good. Uh, so uh, yeah, Liam. When the next matches, I mean, Leicester City at home. February's looking pretty good for us. We got Cardiff City at home, then Leicester City at home on February the tenth. Then Burnley away, Inter away, Norwich at home. Chelsea in the final at Wembley of the Carabao Cup. And then we move into March and March looks a, a bit more difficult with West Ham at home, just in the Premier League, West Ham at home, Brighton away, Man United at home, Watford at home. And then April, Man City away, Villa away, Everton at home, Newcastle away, Tottenham at home, Southampton away, Wolves at home, and that's all of our remaining fixtures in the Premier League. Liam, is it all over? How much hope do you have? I'd say I'm a little bit less optimistic than you two are, considering just how good City have been. I think we're forgetting it's a like a 13-game winning run they've just ended with that draw at Southampton. Obviously, we've got the ability to replicate that, but I do think that's what it's going to take to be able to get near them, in a sense. Obviously, they're playing without a striker and they're still, by far and away, one of the best teams in Europe and one of the best teams that we've had in the Premier League. So I think the quality that City have got, they do deserve some credit. As you've just said, they've never really seemed to be in this situation where they've dropped points and we've capitalised on it this season anyway. It seems, for example, I think um, I think the Brentford game in particular and the Brighton game are two opportunities we've had to close gaps and whether it be Chelsea or City, 
and we'd drawn both those games. So I think in particular the fact we've been able to close the gap, we've got that advantage of essentially the game in hand against Leeds. We still don't know when that's going to be played, so that's going to be a big game to be rescheduled. And the fact we've got to go to the Etihad, which I, I'm confident going there that we can get a win. It seems like we've not won at the Etihad for quite a while, actually. But if we can win those two games, I'll be fully on board. But I just think the quality that City have got, De Bruyne is coming back into form, Bernardo Silva looks great. It's going to be a big ask for us. For me personally, I think we will have success this year. Obviously, we're already in a cup final, but we look good in Europe in particular. We seem to be up for the big games, particularly one-off games. And I think that could stand us in good stead, particularly without the away goals rule. In the um, in the Champions League, I think the uh, the home advantage and the away advantage kind of teeters a little bit, which may decrease his chances at Anfield. But I think in the away legs, that will will be benefit beneficial to us and the people that aren't coming to Anfield. So I fancy us in the cups this year more than league, I must say. But we're not out of it by any means. There's still a chance. Ten percent is too harsh, I would say. But um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm as optimistic as you guys. I do think City deserve a lot of credit. They look really good this year. Great answer. And they do. They do. I mean, hats off to them. And uh, yeah, I mean, Lucy mentioned oil in the machine. They've got plenty of it. Um, but, uh, you know, it might start, to, they might blow a gasket at some point. That's what that's the hope that I'm clinging on to. Their fixtures after the international break, they've got Fulham at home and the FA Cup. And then just in the league, because they're playing sporting in the Champions League, forget that one. Uh, but just in the league, they've got Brentford at home, Norwich away. And then it gets interesting. They've got Tottenham at home, Everton away, Man United at home, Crystal Palace away, Brighton at home, Burnley away, Liverpool at home, Wolves away, Watford at home, Leeds away, Newcastle at home. And then at the end of the season, they've got West Ham away, followed by Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa, Phil Coutinho et al., on May the 22nd, as it stands now. Abdul, have you given up? Yeah, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And you know what? <clears throat> um, Pep, in his interview before the match yesterday, uh, I don't even know who they played. Who did they play? Southampton. Uh, Southampton, yesterday. that's the one. Mm. Yeah, so he, he said, um, we will definitely drop points. It's just about how we react to it. And yeah, I mean, uh, Liam just said, you know, City have just come off a, what, 13-game winning streak? And I think they haven't lost or dropped points in the game since the end of October. So uh, the way that I view it is there was absolutely no chance that City were just going to win every single game of the season remaining after going on a 12-game winning streak. So they were at the very peak of their form. And the only way I think was it's, it's, it's down for them, basically. Um, and Liverpool, on the other side, I think that we have a lot of improvement to come in our team, especially when the African Cup of Nation boys come back into the team. And especially with, you know, we don't have any major injuries now. We have Harvey Elliott coming back, Thiago coming back, fingers crossed, touch wood. He's going to stay injury free for the rest of the season. And also looking at City's fixtures now, you highlighted, you know, they've got that really tough spell coming up before they play Liverpool, where they play Spurs, Antonio Conte. Today, I think it's the first time he's dropped points. Uh, sorry, lost a game in the Premier League since he's come back. So I think that's going to be a really tough one for them. Uh, Everton, uh, they don't want to be dragged down into a relegation battle and that's away from home. I don't know. They, they could drop points there. United, you know, Derby, they could drop points there. Crystal Palace away, difficult one for us today. I could see them dropping points there. Brighton have had a good season. I could see them dropping points there. 
Burnley, relegation battle, they don't want to be in. They could drop points there. Wolves, really good team this season. They could drop points there. But I think the key one for me is right at the end of the season, they play Watford, then Leeds, then Newcastle. Those three play, uh, teams, all in a relegation battle. I think that adds a different dynamic to the matches. I think those teams are going to play, you know, out of their skins to try and not lose. And that, I think, could make the big difference. And then on the final day, we're all praying for it. A Felipe Coutinho screamer from 25 yards to win it for a Villa. That would just be the absolute dream. So, With Alison Becker getting another header to hand us the league title, it, is that it? Is that the the colour of your dreams? It's literally got to be written up there in the stars. I mean, if that happened, top off for like the next five months, honestly. It'll so never yeah, get, it'll never go back on. <laughs> literally. So um, I think there's a lot of chances for City to slip up, and I think they will. But yeah, I think the big question is: Do Liverpool have it in them to go pretty much unbeaten uh, for the rest of the season? And I don't know if they do, but I do think by the time that we play City on the 9th of April, I think the gap will be at maximum four points. So that could that could be a very, very, very tight affair. I love it. I love the answers. I love all the all the positive, all the positivity, all of the optimism. Um, Alan, uh, a, a real positive is having Harvey Elliott back, Jurgen Klopp said in an interview that I know you saw too, he, he just seemed really excited having Harvey back and he had to sort of, um, you know, put, rein himself in, Jürgen did, because he was he thought that immediately Harvey Elliott looked ready to come back into the action. So him coming back with, as Abdul said, all the African Cup of Nations guys, all three wonderful players, then, you know, there's so much positivity around the club, Alan. And what do you think about Harvey Elliott coming back? I mean, would he, for you, would he replace Curtis Jones in this lineup, for example? Would he replace Henderson? Oh, I think uh, Harvey could replace anybody in that in that centre midfield, apart from uh, Fabinho and Thiago, maybe. Um, I do think um, he'll replace Henderson on the right-hand side there. I think Henderson is uh, very tired. Um, I think he's not having his best season, but... Um, Harvey is such an exciting player. Like even at the start of the season, when he started playing them games, like none, none of us were really expecting him to start. And then when he got injured, it was devastating for a player that's basically in his first full season. So I'm really excited about him coming back. Really excited to see the excitement in Klopp's face when he talks about him, and you seen him coming onto the training ground and. Jorgen was hugging him, and it wasn't just a hug, it was a hug, you know what I mean? It was a, wow, I'm so happy you're here. And you could feel you could feel the sense Harvey must get from that as well, like and all the players. So I'm really excited about Harvey coming back. Um, and like you said, that interview, Jorgen said they have to hold themselves back, not to put him in so quick. He said it's like a player that's never been away from training. He, he just starts training and... He just said it's like a player that has been training every week, not been injured. So to see that excitement in Jorgen is also a great positive for us. So what is it like for the rest of the team and the lads to, to see that? I think um, going forward, like I think Henderson is probably the one that might lose his place for him. But I think that's good because I think Henderson is the player that you can bring in for the last 20 minutes of games when he's fresh and, and control games and win games when, when we're up against it and stuff. So Jones again is playing well. So if you have a young young midfield like Jones one side 
um, Harvey Ditter and then you have Naby and the Ox to come in which both players I like to see coming in near the end of a game especially the Ox I think when, when, when teams are tired near the last 20 minutes the Ox plays very well and gets gets running at teams so I'm really positive and really delighted to see Harvey back just fingers crossed he stays injury free now for 10 years yeah at least yeah great great answer great answer um um yeah Oxley Chamberlain um Liam what do, what do you what do you think of that assessment from Alan you know with with our midfield and what do you think about Oxley Chamberlain I think I'd agree particularly firstly on Elliot it's massive to have him back I think we saw the impact he had in those early games starting at Chelsea obviously the injury was rather unfortunate but if he can replicate that form again, I think you'll struggle to displace him in that midfield because I think he gives our midfield something that nobody else gives it in terms of the positions he can get into going forward. He's got vision, he's dynamic, he's quick. He'd, he'd, he'd be a vital addition to that midfield if we are going to go forwards and win the Premier League title. I think Hawks is a funny one, really. I think I don't particularly like him in wide areas, although, you know, I'm kind of contradicting myself while he's scoring goals from those areas. So you're kind of um, contradicting yourself. But I think he's much better as a midfielder where he can see the ball a bit more. You know, he's got a bit more time. I think when he's one-on-one with players, I think his yard of pace is fallen a little bit in terms of whether that's concurrent knee injuries or something like that I don't think he's got that dynamic edge that he used to have you know the the pace for example when I think when he used to play wing back under Wenger at um, Arsenal was was always one of his big assets for playing those wide areas which why I think the shift into midfield when he came to Liverpool which is the position he played at Southampton when he was coming through the academy kind of helped him and we saw his best football there but I just find with the 18 months left on these contracts, the 18 months left on Cater's contract, this run at the moment is kind of big for him to stake his claim. You would say he is doing it with the two goals he scored, but I think he's doing it in the wrong position because I think we all know we're going to strengthen, maybe not on the right-hand side, but whether it be a number nine, just in general, that forward area, we're going to be adding someone there in the summer, most likely, if you're reading sources from the Athletic and things like that. So I don't think he's going to have a future there. And I think in midfield with Thiago, with Fabinho, who's, again, was magnificent today. He's undroppable, essentially. He is the glue that holds our midfield together. Henderson, for me, his form's been a bit up and down at the moment, as Alan said. But I think the fact he's the captain kind of makes him higher up the pecking order as well compared to somebody like Ox. I think Klopp said himself, Naby on his day is one of the best midfielders in the world and I'd agree with that. I think when you've got somebody of that quality who can change a game around, it's difficult to really say you shouldn't keep him for those qualities. I would like to see him get a run in the side essentially with Henderson's. For me personally, I think Henderson has been showing poor form considering his high standards. So I think coming back after the break, it would be nice to see Naby get a run in that position. For me, with Ox, I wouldn't be shocked if he was sold in the summer. I just think, as backup for wide areas, I think we can definitely strengthen. This form is great for him, whether it gets him a big move or, you know, he may prove me wrong and get in the squad. But if you're asking for my, I guess, prediction for where Ox is in maybe six to 12 months' time, I wouldn't be shocked if he's somewhere else in the Premier League or another team in Europe to expand on him. Yeah, I mean, he did brilliantly well. Um, for the goal today, he also had a couple of chances before that. But um, uh, yeah, I would I would also not be surprised to see him 
plan is trade elsewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for your thoughts. Really interesting answer. Lots of things to think about, but it makes you think about transfers that you mentioned. And there was uh, one player we've been linked with, and I'm very happy we've been linked with him. Um, his name's Fabio Carvalho. I'm sure a lot of you are already aware of that. Um, from Fulham in the championship where he is to, um, you know, to use perhaps a tired cliche, ripping it up in the Champions League. I don't know what it is, but it seems to be some kind of tissue paper because it seems ridiculously easy for him to rip it up in the Championship. Um, we were linked with him in the press exactly one day after I, with my sort of, you know, geeky, um, you know, personal look at stats and things, identified him as someone who just leapt off all of the step sheets that I was looking at as, as an incredible talent. And, and I was shocked and delighted that the very next day, various sources through the media were linking us with the young um, Carvalho from Fulham. Abdul, would you be excited to bring him in now? Or do we have enough cover in midfield and wide areas till the end of the season? Do you think, uh, you know, bringing in a young, brilliant midfielder stroke attacker would really, really, really help us uh, going forward? Or could it just upset the apple cart? I mean, yeah, I think there's undoubtedly he's a great player. Um, I don't think there's any point bringing him in right now. I think, yes, yeah, sign him. If he's available for five million, then yeah, absolutely sign him and then just loan him straight back out to Fulham. They're having a great season. Marco Silva's doing great things there. Um, I think they're probably likely to come up, aren't they? Um, so yeah, I would I would sign him and then send him back out on loan. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've I haven't actually watched him that much. I know that he scored on his debut in the Premier League last season. Was it on his debut? I'm not sure, but he he, he scored definitely in the Premier League last season. Very highly rated. And uh, just a little bit of a, a little snippet of information. Our new sporting director, Julian Ward, apparently he's actually done, he's actually worked for the Portuguese FA before. Um, and I mean, I know that in his previous role as like Lone Pathways guy, he's obviously sent out Marco Gruwich to Porto. And I think the way that Klopp talks about Portuguese uh, coaching and Portuguese talent and Vitor Matos joining us, it seems like Liverpool have a very uh, Portuguese kind of thread running through us at the moment. So I can understand why we're after this Carvalho kid, because he's proving it in the championship. And I think especially um, with the way that we've seen like Jadon Sancho come from the Bundesliga and not really settle in that well, I think there is a lot of value in, in people who have proved themselves in the British leagues uh, compared to maybe going out abroad. And that's not to diss any of the foreign leagues, but I think there is something a bit special about somebody proving themselves in a championship, like Harvey Elliott, for example. Um, so if he does come to Liverpool, I hope to see him in the preseason. I think he will do pretty, pretty well. And uh, yeah, excited to see it. Yeah, great answer. I mean, he's he's 19 now, Fabio Carvalho. Um, he broke in, as, as you said, he scored one goal in the Premier League. He only made three appearances, three starts, sorry, uh, with one substitute appearance for Fulham uh, last season. But this season, he started 14 matches. He's got eight goals and two assists in the championship. And if you look at highlights reels, and you can't tell much from highlights reels, but the way that the championship defenders are, you can tell they're always just trying to basically chop him in half, as they always do in the championship against technically uh, gifted players. They're basically trying to assault him. 
but he manages to wriggle away and stay in his feet. He's got balance. He's got strength. He's got guile. He's just a good footballer. He's really good passing, really good vision and an eye for goal. Um, Alan, there's, a, there's the FSG news that apparently FSG have moved up quite significantly in terms of the richest uh, sports owners in the world. They have something like $7 billion uh, worth of, of assets or something like that. Do you want a massive investment from them, Alan, this summer or perhaps someone in January? Or is it more important, like I think it's just more important, who the players are rather than how much they cost? Yeah, I'd agree with Jed. I don't I don't want us to turn into one of these clubs that, that just goes out and spends hundred million on a player for his namesake or whatever. But, but I would like to see a steady stream of investment, you know, not you know, to be able to buy one or two players every season, have the money there available. Um I have been frustrated a bit with FSG, you know, over Salah's contract and stuff as well. But um that's what I would like to see. I would I'd like to see them given a steady income that Klopp knows every year he has 60, 70 million, whichever it is, to spend and he can pick and choose players. But when we need a certain player like we did for Van Dijk and for Alisson to know he has the money there if he wants to do it for that special type of player. But I, I don't want to turn into a Man United buying £100 million player like Sancho and him not, not being up to the scratch, which I don't think we are like that. You know, We're very good at scouting players that suit our system, but I would like to see more constant investment every year. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, more constant investment. Um, it's been a bit quiet in the past couple of years, but we have brought in Diogo Jota, uh, Thiago Alcantara and Ibu. Um, I had a look back earlier, Liam. I don't know if you saw, I posted it on our, on our WhatsApp group. I posted all of the transfers since Jurgen Klopp's first full summer. And it's amazing the amount of hits compared to misses. I mean, a lot of other clubs, they get 50-50 hits and misses. Man United get sort of, you know, maybe 10% of their transfers turn out to be any good. Um, but I don't know. What do you think about uh, the the way forwards? I mean, would you, uh, you know, bring in Bellingham for 100 million, Fabio Carvalho for 10 million, or even a free at the end of the season if his contract is up? I don't know, Liam. Um, talk to me about transfers. What, what, what do you want to see? I think what Alan said is along the right lines, really. I don't think we're asking for, you know, oil rich owners to come in and spend 200 million like Chelsea did. And if you look at the signings they made when they signed Havertz, Werner Ziyech. You can't really say pinpoint one of them that's been probably more than C plus B. I know Havertz scored the win in the Champions League final, but in retrospect, none of them have really had the impacts they would have expected. They're still young, particularly Havertz, so they can improve. But I think our transfer policy where, you know, everything's a bit more methodical and calculated and they'll look at within the squad who's particularly on the way out. So, for example, if you're looking at someone like James Milner who can particularly cover... We'd say probably four positions in both fullbacks, the six and the eight. So you'd be looking for someone in that midfield role who can maybe probably not shift out at left back, but play six and eight. So I think having the money there to be able to replenish the squad, I think the squad is getting a bit on the older side in terms of youth, younger players below 25. There's Trent and Jones that are probably in contention to start week in, week out. Obviously, Elliot's back, so he's in that regard as well, and Jota's in that bracket as well. But other than that, everyone else is either in the prime or getting towards the full side of 30, and 30's not a bad thing. 
particularly when we're seeing Ronaldo come to the Premier League and score 14 goals in all competitions for Man United. We're hardly um, we're hardly not going to have that from Salah if we keep him up. I think his fitness and everything puts you on the right said that he'll be able to do that. So I'm not saying we need a mass exodus of getting rid of players that are going over the age of 30, but just just adding players in here and there, another forward of a similar profile to Jota, someone like an Ismail Asar, Jonathan David, um, Amin is someone I like. I think he'd be great in terms of versatility, being able to play through the middle and on the left. Um, and then in midfield, I think Bellingham's probably a bit of a pipe dream, really, with how much he's going to cost. I just don't see us breaking the bank for £100 million and someone like Jude Bellingham. I love Bellingham. I think in particular, we saw his performances at the Euros, you know, at 17, being one of England's youngest ever players to play at a tournament, the way he's played in the Champions League for Dortmund. Um, he shows he's got the level to play in the Premier League, but I don't expect that we'll be uh, breaking our transfer policy, really. I don't. I think, as Alan said, with Alisson and Van Dijk and um, Abdul as well, uh, when those two players were acquired, we knew who we wanted straight away and we knew we had the money available and they were necessary signings to go out there and break transfer records. I think to break a British transfer record for Jude Bellingham isn't a necessity at this moment in time. I think you could spend that a bit wise and replace Wijnaldum because I don't think we really have. And then, you know, look at somebody a bit more, not a utility player, but someone of a younger profile that can step into that Milner role and Limited minutes, but could maybe shift in at six. Who knows? Maybe has experience at wing back or full back as well. I just think spending a hundred million on Jude Bellingham, as much as I would love it, and you know, if we could do that, that'd be fantastic. I just don't think it makes sense from the club's perspective, even if they have had that Redbird capital investment coming. So I'd say a midfielder and a forward of the priority in the summer, but I wouldn't expect us to hit probably, I'd say 40 million maximum for each. And, you know, with sales, I imagine, I said, I think Ox will leave. I wouldn't be surprised if Origi leaves. So maybe if you do look for um, younger players like Cavallo to step into those positions, I think Cavallo on a free transfer would be excellent. I don't think there's any need to buy him now for five. Although with my head, I just want to see a transfer. So if we do do it, it's something to get excited about. But I think looking at those younger profile sort of players like Cavallo, maybe a young midfielder coming from France, or I've, there's absolutely loads in France of young midfielders coming through that we could target, or in the Championship as well. I think they're the best areas to look. But I think probably 80 million on two players, a midfielder and a striker, would be great in the summer. Splendid answer. Splendid answer. Well, we've certainly got a lot to a lot to think about, a lot to dream about. Um, I'll leave you with a couple of quotes. There was a nice poem by Mary Oliver. Um, it's all about the maybes. And you know, I haven't given up on this uh this league as you know, you 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 guys haven't either to better to stronger or lesser degrees anyway. But there's a poem called The World I Live In by Mary Oliver, and it says, I have refused to live locked in the orderly house of reasons and proofs. The world I live in and believe in is wider than that. And anyway, what's wrong with maybe? And maybe Liverpool will win the league. Uh, you know, Thomas Edison um, famously said, our, our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always to try just one more time. It's going to take a little while to try one more time because it's after the international break, the pesky international break. 
But during that international break, Abdul, what can people uh, get from Watch LFC? Unparalleled positivity. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're just, you know, it's going to be two weeks. It's going to be lovely and refreshing for the players and uh, for the fans as well. Go out with the wife, go on a date, enjoy yourself, and then come back, strap yourself in, because the end of the season is going to be a really, really interesting ride, I think. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. And uh, hi to Rory, who's just joined us, saying, uh, evening, just subscribe to the channel. So thanks very much, Rory. If uh, you're listening to this, please uh, do subscribe to us on YouTube. Um, Rory's delight is speaking of, uh, you know, unbridled, unparalleled positivity. Uh, very positive. Said so big three points away from home with key AFCON players missing. Absolutely. Um, Liam, tell us, uh, tell everybody uh, about your writing. What's going on with the French football? Um, yeah, in particular, I'm currently writing a piece on why the Reds should be shopping in Ligue 1. Hopefully a series on that that should be out on the Copite. So something Excellent. to look forward to there. Um, in particular, I write for Get French Football News as well. The Get French Football News 100 has just come out. There's lots of young talents in there. In particular, I wrote a piece on um, Camel Dean Suleimana, who's a winger that plays for Ren. Uh, I've seen him. He's amazing. Yes, yeah. man. Great Honestly, choice. just the way he dribbles with the ball. He can beat three players in a blink and then score a wonder goal. So he was a pleasure to write about. Other ones in particular, Randall Cullumwan. He's been linked with Liverpool recently. He's available on a free transfer. Um, Amin Gouri, again, I've written about him. So I'd go check that out. There's also a good interview with Seko Fafana, the winner of the um, Get French Football News 100. So on French football side of things, that's everything. But yeah, keep an eye out for the series and go read the Get French Football News 100. It's a great publication from all of the writers involved. And, you know, just in general, if you want an insight about a different league, personally, league, and I love the Reds, but I watch a lot of French football alongside the Premier League. Um, it is particular goals, for example, a relegation threatened side beat a team in the top four, four three today. It's just that sort of league, anything can happen. Unpredictability goals. So, I definitely check out League and if you're um, wanting to get into European football a bit more, but yeah, check out the GFN FN 100 and uh, keep an eye out for the piece why the Reds should be shopping in League. And wonderful stuff, and uh, yeah, those are great. Those are great uh, recommendations there for players we could sign. We could sign Lissoulamana. Whoa, man, what a talent. Uh, yeah, Lee Garn's brilliant. In fact, I might go and try and watch some now. PSG are playing against, ne um, not Nice, they're playing against someone. Who are they playing? Rance. Rance. So, yeah, Rance. Okay, Hugo yeah, Rance. There's a player to look out for. Wait, who, sorry? Hugo Ekitike. He's been linked with Newcastle. He's a young 18-year-old striker. He's um, he's a special talent. Magic. I shall go and uh, stick that on. Thank you very much. Alan, thank you so much for joining us as well. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And, uh, yeah, do you have a, a, a message for the listeners? Uh, yeah, thanks, Owen. I just uh, do something. I, I don't have any um, media, social channels or anything, but uh, if I could do a personal um, wish happy birthday to my son, Adam. Um, birthday, yeah, 19 years ago, he was born on my birthday and uh, still the best birthday present I ever had. Oh, um, fantastic. Lo love you, son. Oh, wonderful. Happy birthday. Uh, ah, wonderful stuff. Excellent stuff. It's my birthday on, on Tuesday in two days. So, uh, you know, I accept uh, brownies. Uh, if you get in touch, coponpodcast.gmail.com. Thank you very much. Coponpodcast.gmail.com. I can send you my address. You can send your brownies in the post um, if they've got, you know, stupefying substances or not. 
um, as you like, but do please put a little note to say which superfine substances you put in them. Uh, podcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks very much, everybody. Take care, and uh, yeah, speak to you soon. This race is not over.